Well, good morning, church. How we doing? Good. I'm Scott Weatherford. Uh, Merry Christmas. I know this sounds kind of like too early, right? Because the turkey, the, the tryptophan hangover has not quite worn off. But anyway, off we go. I love Christmas. I love the Christmas season. I love the Christmas songs. I love singing Christmas songs. And I was just talking to Wyatt. Now, I'm going to say this to you. I don't know if this is going to happen, but we're going to try to make it happen, okay? Uh, several years ago, I recorded a Christmas CD. It's 10 songs, uh, singing di different Christmas songs, and um, I'm going to try to find a, a master copy of it, and if we can, we're going to give it to all of you as a gift for Christmas. Now, it'll, it'll well, don't clap yet. You haven't heard it, so, but, uh, but I think you'll enjoy it. We recorded it uh, several years ago to help uh, fund missions uh, in our church. We did a Christmas offering called To Save the World, and uh, it worked very well for that. And, and I want to find it and give it as a gift to you because you are my favorite church. That's right. So we, I look forward to hearing that. I want to call your attention over here to the cross. We have uh, the cross here that uh, Steve Dow put together, and it's our nails we dropped in from the uh, uh, First Life series, declaring that we're all in, and we've shaped it. Steve has taken it and framed it with beautiful cypress wood representing here in Wimberley, and you could take a look at that. That's a piece of art. We dedicated it last Sunday night at our prayer, praise, and pie gathering, which was phenomenal phenomenal. Uh, I think at the Wimberley Pie Company, Jesus is in the kitchen. That's all I can say, because we enjoyed some of that Wimberley pie. Of course, your pies and all that was a great event. So let's jump into Christmas. Here we go. Uh, I think I'm excited about this because we're talking about looking for Christmas. And we are people who look, who wait. I think this time of year kind of creates an expectation for us, a longing for us. Uh, looking down the road, waiting for uh, kids to arrive, relatives to arrive. Some of you look down the road with anticipation. Uh, some look down the road with aggravation. Here, here they come again. How long will they stay this time? What will they eat? The locusts are descending, those kind of things. But we look, we long. We, we long for uh, th that special someone to, to say those special words. You know, more people are engaged at Christmas than any other time. That's why you're seeing all these Dadgum diamond commercials right now, guys. So just try to ignore them. It will be impossible, but try to ignore them. We wait, we wait for planes to board. Uh, in this last year, I had 32 round-trip air, airfares this year. And it seemed like I spent so much of my time in the airport waiting, waiting. I have got to be a master at Candy Crush. I am a, anybody else? Addicted to Candy Crush? No. Yeah, I see. I see. That's good. Yeah, we're starting a recovery ministry uh, next year, so we'll let you know about, about that recovery from Candy Crush. Uh, we wait for time to pass. We, we, we wait for hope. We wait for joy. We wait for peace. We are literally a people Then we just look. We're longing. We're waiting. We're looking for Christmas. And I look through the years of my family. I look, uh, I look for the gleam in my little children's eyes. Uh, we, we had, you know, being a pastor at Christmas is always kind of kind of sketchy, uh, not in a bad way, but in a, like a, a, an inconvenient way, as it were. Because it's hard to have Christmas traditions when you got all these church folk in the middle of it. So we would have Christmas Eve services, and, and then we would, uh, I would take the kids, and we would look at Christmas lights in, in the neighborhood while, uh, while that jolly old fat man came to our house, not me, the other guy, and... 
and then we would come home and we, the kids would open their gifts and, and then we would uh, have breakfast together. And then we would load up in our car the next morning and drive from Texas to Florida on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, we'd do that year after year after year. We would load up and drive on Christmas Day, then come back on New Year's Day. Do you guys remember Y2K? Do you remember that? Oh, we're all going to die, Y2K. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You remember everybody pitching a fit about that and say, you know, save up your groceries and do all that stuff? Well, I was getting pressure that year to prepare our church for Y2K. So I went online and I got uh, FEMA's Winter Storm Warning Preparedness List. And I changed it to Parkway Church's Y2K preparedness list. Everybody calmed down. Of course, Y2K was nothing but a bunch of hullabaloo, right? I was so concerned about Y2K, I drove back on that day from Florida to Texas, got gas, and, and, uh, and put gas in my car as well. But anyway, that's a whole too much information. But we are her people. I don't know why I said that. Sometimes it's pastor's Tourette's. It just comes out. We hope for a gift that we're unseen, a joy of, of our families gathered. We look for expectations. We look for the need. We look for love to fill the air and, and joy to be abound. I remember those, those days. But here at the beginning of Christmas season, what are we looking for this Christmas? What are we longing for here in Wimberley? What do we want to see that, that's happening? Uh, Tara and I were driving up today, and we, we looked at our December, and we both looked at each other and sighed. Because on December 7th, we close on our house up here, which is exciting, but also means we have to move our stuff up here, which is not exciting. You know, two moves equal one fire. Did you know that? And this is the second move for us in two years. Uh, the third move for us in three, uh, four years, uh, it's just quite, we've had a moving season, as it were. Uh, but we're looking forward to being here. But December is not going to be a great year for us, living uh, a great month for us, living out of boxes. We're looking forward to that being over. And of course, Dan, right in the middle of our move, we've got the Christmas musical, which I get to sing in. And that's so exciting. I, won't, I don't know if I'll have any pants to wear, but I'll be up here singing. So that's, uh, again, y'all pray for me. It's one of those mornings. We look for the beginning of Christmas season and we gather to sing songs and listen to experience something far deeper than we've ever experienced, hoping that this year that we will find what we're really longing for. We look, tis the season. Isaiah the prophet, he said this, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. For generations, the people look for Jesus. And now we look back on Jesus' arrival and we live in the sure presence of his goodness today. And we find that what we're looking for is really Jesus. But today, I'm going to pull apart this passage, this prophetic utterance from Isaiah. We're going to look at it in depth, and we're really going to find out what we're looking for. Next week, I'll be talking about Isaiah 61. God's looking for a people, looking for a people who are, who are representative of him. And then on December the 11th, uh, Sean's going to uh, preach for us that Sunday. I'll be moving that week, and he's going to be talking about what the wise men were looking for. And we've been talking about that for several weeks now, Sean and I, as he's been preparing for that. And then the next, uh, the next Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on something else. I have no idea what that is. 
I do. I'll go talk about Christmas again. And then Christmas Eve, three great Christmas Eve services here on Christmas Eve here at First Baptist Church. So you guys look forward to that as we talk about Jesus, the hope of the world. But let's look today at what we're looking for. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray, Father, that you will speak through me. Somehow, the miracle of your voice through this broken man will make yourself known to these people that I love and you love more. I thank you that we are people who don't look without hope. We look with expectation. We look for you, and we will find you. In fact, Father, you say that when we seek you with all of our hearts, we will find you. And I thank you that you are faithful and you are good. And we look forward to hearing what you have to say to us. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, just a quick sidebar. Yesterday, I bought a new Bible. Uh, I'm kind of picky about the translations I use. I used the ESV for a while. I found that, that, that language to be a little cumbersome. I usually speak out of the NLT, which is a New Living Translation. I found that to be that translation to be a little bit shallow at times. And so I picked up a new Bible. This is a new release called the Christian Standard Bible. It's published by Holman, which is the, the uh, Baptist publishing arm of the Southern Baptist Convention. And I've started reading it, and I think I like it. I think I like it a lot. So if you're looking for a new Bible, I would recommend the, the Christian uh, Standard Bible. Uh, in fact, Tara, our good friend Billy, was a part of uh, translating this Bible. So that's kind of kind of neat to know. A guy I grew up with, never thought he'd amount to anything, turns out to be a Bible translator. I'm sure he's somewhere saying the same thing about me, except for not being the Bible translator, just being the proficient pontificator. But let's jump into this talk today, and let's look at this passage of Scripture. We look for hope. I think probably the, the number one topic that's kind of been on my heart over the last, I would say, several months has been the topic of hope. It seems like we are a hopeless people. With the tragedies of, of Harvey and the extended rain, and then, of course, the next hurricane in, in Florida, the next one in Puerto Rico, uh, it just seems like we need hope more than anything. With the mass shootings that we've experienced, the unbelievable tragedy of Sutherland Springs, the tragedy in Las Vegas, and now, now in Egypt, uh, 300 people killed in a mosque attack. And really hits home to me. Our church in Canada, we actually sponsored six families to move into that region of the world, I can't tell you where or who they are, to, to start a, a church for expats. And uh, we, we sponsored those families and sent them over there to start a church because we believe an international church can strengthen the local church. And in the middle of that tragedy, and I wondered, who do I know that might have been involved in that? And it just shocks, it shakes us to the core. We're looking for hope, and we want to see hope that, that endures. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 6.19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Two weeks ago, I, I spoke on hope in the, the uh, sermon series, Wimberly Strong. I talked about hope, having hope. Next year is going to be the year of hope, where we're going to look at personal hope and relational hope and missional hope. Why, why are we here? And then we're going to look at the hope for our culture. And we planned out that whole year based on hope. I've started writing devotional materials for, for that, extra readings for you. Uh, I'm four weeks into it already for, for next year, writing about hope and what does this mean and looking at different people in scripture who long for hope. And this, this theme of hope has been coursing through my mind. We need hope that leads to peace. That is really the promise of Christmas. We look for hope. 
And hope will lead us into God's presence because hope is not a feeling, it's a person. His name is Jesus. He is our hope. The infant cry that shattered the Christmas night was not the cry of a baby in a manger, but the declaration that hope had come to live among us and that he would bring us the hope of the world. And he is the hope of the world. It's not a sound, but a savior. It's a solution of our hopelessness. It's our hopeless condition to facing a holy God. He brings us hope that we might be found acceptable by him. And this savior, he anchors our souls. He anchors my soul. The older I get, the more hope I need. Are you with me? And the older I get, the harder life gets. Are are you with me? But Jesus anchors our lives. We look for joy. We look for joy. Oftentimes joy sits like a jar on the back shelf of our mind, unsealed, but waiting for someone to crack open its seal and release its sweet nectar into our lives. And I want to reach for that jar of joy, and I want to have its warm aroma to wash over me. I need joy, and joy is not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is is providential. It's found in the person of Christ. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. For unto you a a child is born that day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Isaiah says, unto us a child is born, and the angels declare, unto us a child is born. And the commonality of that scripture is intentional, that it shows to us that joy has come, that our longings have been met, and the real thing we're looking for is found in Christ. We sang it this morning, Joy to the World, written by Ludwig von Beethoven. It is a joy that this world cannot squelch nor overcome. Do you find sometimes your joy is tenuous? It's based on the reaction of your spouse, the reaction of your employer, the, um, the balance in your checkbook, when joy really is based on God himself, pouring his life into us. Everlasting love in the presence of God. He's literally Emmanuel, God with us. What in your life, and this is kind of a personal question, is really killing you of your joy? What are you allowing to come into your life and and just really gnaw at your soul? Is it your resources? Is it your relationships? Is it your, your medical circumstances? What is really gnawing at your heart? I read this. I can't remember who I read it, what book I read it in. But I read about a, a World War I pilot. He was flying across the, um, the North African desert. And of course, the biplanes were not very sophisticated. It's amazing anybody dared even fly in a biplane. And they, the rudders of the biplane were controlled by ropes. And, and, and he, he would pull the lever and a rope would adjust the rudders. It's, it wasn't hydraulics like they have today, of course. And while the pilot was flying, this, this author said, that he could hear a rat in the back of his plane gnawing on the rope. He could hear the rat gnawing on the rope. Now, some of y'all know what a rat sounds like, right? You live with one. 
and, and, and he heard this rat. So he had a dilemma. He said, should I land the plane and kill the rat? or hope that the rat does not complete his dastardly deed till I land. That's a dilemma, isn't it? The author says he landed the plane and he killed the rat. Folks, maybe today's the day you land your plane and you kill the rat that's gnawing at the rope of your joy. He said, I'm going to refuse to be encumbered. I'm going to refuse to worry. I'm going to refuse to, to be stressed. Tis the season. This is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for joy. But until we intentionally eradicate the rat that's killing our joy, the joy will continue to be gnawed upon. Kill the rat. Yesterday, Tara and I went out uh, to do some Christmas shopping. Uh, I don't think we did a lot of shopping. We did some Christmas buying. And I looked at all the people. Uh, we were up at the La Quintera area of San Antonio. And I wondered how many are, are feverishly looking for something, but they will not find it in a mall. They'll only find it in Jesus. We are at a store. We had a conversation with this young lady and and found out she was a believer, found out she was interested in missions, and found out we had a great conversation with her. And realizing that joy is not found in the Apple store. Joy is found in Jesus. Joy is found in Jesus. We look for peace. I'm, living, I'm leaving you with a gift, Jesus said. I love this. Peace of mind and heart. And peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or be afraid. I'm giving you peace for Christmas. That's in John 14, 27. There are times that I feel like I'm living in the troubled, swirling waters of life. I long for peace and I need peace. And here at Christmas, I find God who came near and his title is the Prince of Peace the ruler and the dispenser of peace. Now, as I promised, let's look deeper at Isaiah 9 and see what the prophet Isaiah said some 400 years prior to Christ or perhaps 600 years. He calls him the wonderful counselor. Now, Handel, when he wrote the Messiah, he broke those two words up, Dan. He said, wonderful counselor. And actually, it's one phrase, wonderful counselor. Now you think, okay, a counselor is somebody you go to, you see, you pay your money, you lay on the couch, you tell him your problems, he tells you solutions, and you leave, right? That's not what this means. It doesn't mean Jesus has a good listening ear, even though he does have a good listening ear. That doesn't mean that Jesus is going to give you great advice, even though Jesus is going to give you great advice. What this literally means in the Hebrew is that he is the wonderful administrator of your life. This word counselor means administrator, as in a government official or someone who has the ability to organize, manage, and regulate your life. He is the wonderful counselor. You cannot find a better person to oversee your life than the God-man, Jesus Christ. And Isaiah said, I need a manager, and I found a king. His name is King Jesus, and he is the wonderful counselor. Isaiah goes on to say he's the mighty God, 
And what he said there was the, the great theological truth that Jesus is not some watered down version of God. He is fully God in flesh. That Jesus was so much God that while he nursed at his teenage mother, he could have spoken the worlds out of being. So much God. Now, I think about the totality of this statement, what we've heard so far, the wonderful counselor who's the mighty God. Who better to run my life than this one who has control of everything? Who better to be surrendered to than the ones who, who could speak the world out of the, uh, the world's out of being? Who, who better to, to, to give my life to than the one who knows everything and is everything and is above everything? This is the Christ we've been looking for. This is the solution we've hoped to find. He's the everlasting father. And everlasting is such an interesting word in Hebrew because it means without limit. He's a father without limit. Now, I'm personally trying to be the grandfather without limit. Indulgent, permissive, you know, come here, baby, and sit in my lap and eat some pie. But this everlasting father means Jesus is going to go with you being your daddy God no matter what. And he is finally, as Isaiah says, the prince of peace. In other words, the fountainhead of peace. You know, I've said this before. I'll say it again. I'll probably say it till I die. I can face any circumstance in my life as long as I have peace. And as long as I have Jesus, I have the Prince of Peace. I have the Prince of Peace. This week, Wyatt and I made a hospital visit. One of our dear members, he said, I'm ready to go home. What he said to me, but he wasn't ready to go home to his home. He's ready to go home to heaven. He said this, and it really stirred me. He said, you know, I've never died before, but I ain't scared. I got peace. Where does that come from? From Jesus. For all these years of his life, faithfully following the Prince of Peace, that when he comes to the end of this life and stepping into the next life, he says, I've never died before, but I'm not scared. Because they have peace. I walked out of that room thinking, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. When it's time to cross the chilly tide of death, I want to hold the hand of the Prince of Peace. And knowing that my peace has a person, has a face, he's in charge of it, and he's a dispenser of it. We look for love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We look for love. A friend of ours from Pasadena is here today. We were talking about um, that nightclub in Pasadena called uh, Gillies. I think it was, isn't that the name of that? Gillies, some of y'all remember that, right? Yeah, it, it burned down suspiciously. Uh, several years ago. And I, there's an old song called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. Do y'all remember that? Some of y'all are singing it right now. Looking for love in all the... Okay, you got it? All right. That's what we do. We look for love in all the wrong places instead of looking for love in the right places and realizing that love comes from Jesus. 
And it's the love that pursues us. A love that pursues us. A love that chases us down. I love what God says to us in Jeremiah 29. He says this, if you look for me, I'll let you find me. I'll let you find me. Our precious little Ivy, she's two and a half, she likes to play hide and seek. And she'll go jump on our bed and she'll cover up with the 9,000 pillows that are upon our bed. What's up with that, girls? You'll count your pillows. Name them one by one. Anyway, she, she, and then she'll say, Papa, come find me. And then she'll say, I'm here. <laughs> she likes the thought of hiding, but she likes the thrill of finding better than the thought of hiding. Of course, then she'll say, Papa, come hide with me. There ain't enough pillows on that bed to cover me up, y'all. <laughs> but God says, I'll let you find me if you'll look for me. It's a love that will not let us go. I love that about God. Max Licato. I love Max. He, of course, he's from San Antonio. Pastors a great church there. I've read most of his books. I, I just, he's one of my favorite authors. Had a chance to meet him a couple of times. He's just a good old Texas boy. Just good old guy. A book he wrote several years ago, he told a story that just really, it just really seared itself on my conscience. And I want to share it with you this morning. In Brazil, outside of uh, Rio de Janeiro, in a small town, there was a mother, single mom, had a daughter. And as the little girl grew up, she was infatuated, uh, just, just fixated on living in Rio de Janeiro. And she said she wanted to go to Rio. She wanted to go to Rio. Well, the mother kept saying to her, darling, you don't want to go there. It's a big city. It'll swallow you up. You don't want to go to Rio. And she kept saying that, saying that, saying that. Finally, she got to be about 14 or 15. And there's nothing more dangerous in the world than a 15-year-old girl. Just so you know. And so out one morning, the mom got up and the little girl was gone. And she left a note, I've gone to Rio. And the mother's heart sank. Because she knew that what waited for that little child in Rio was nothing good. So quickly, the mother put her things together, went down to the bus station. She was, the little girl was gone. She was off into the wild city. And so the mother went to the local photograph place, and she took hundreds of pictures of herself, of the mom. And she went to Rio to look for a little girl. Vast city, millions of people. There's no way she could find her. But everywhere she'd go, she'd put up a picture of herself. And finally, after a few months of looking, she returned home, heartbroken. Of course, the little girl, caught up in the big city, started making money the only way she could make money, through prostitution. And one morning, after selling herself to yet another person, broken and hurting and ashamed, she made her way down the, the stairways of a seedy hotel and she looked on the bulletin board and she saw a photograph. It was her mom. And she walked over, she took it very close and it was her mom. And so she pulled the photograph off the wall and she turned it over. And this is what her mom said. No matter what you've done or what you become, come home, I love you. Come home, I love you. And so many of us, Christ is saying the same thing to us this morning. No matter where you've gone or what you've done, come home, I love you. I love you. 
And you say, well, my, my sin is so shameful, I can't come home. Come home, I love you. If you only know what I've done or what I've become, you would never accept me. Come home, I love you. Come home, I love you. And oftentimes, when we hear the call of God, we look at the people of God and we say, if that is the reflection of God, I don't want to go home. May we be the people that says to people who are broken and shameful, come home. We love you. No matter what you've done or what you've become, come home. I love you. I read that that book back in 1992. I remember where I was and when I read it. Because I was starting a church for the broken people of South Texas. And that story of that Brazilian mom has affected my life because I have been that little girl who needed a great savior. And so have you. So have you. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. And I've heard people say, when I, when I say things like, we're the fellowship of the broken, they get offended. How, how dare you, pastor, call us the fellowship of the broken? Because it's true. Last night, we were riding home with little Ivy. We picked up a Christmas tree for him, and she said, Papa can't touch his toes. <laughs> and Tara said, why do you think she said that? And I said, because it's true. Because <laughs> it's true. Where did she hear somebody say that? I don't know. Maybe Gigi said it. I don't know. <laughs> we're broken. But we have a mighty God who saves us, who heals us, who puts us together. So the looking is over and the finding has come. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father the Prince of Peace. If our greatest need was education, God, he would have sent a teacher. If our greatest need was money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need was safety, God would send an army. If our greatest need was self-esteem, God perhaps would have sent a psychologist. But see, our greatest need was forgiveness. Our greatest need was to be made right with a holy God. So God sent a Savior. That's what we've been looking for.